There's a word from the Lord found in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, the sixth chapter. Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six. I'm gonna begin reading at verse number one. I'm a, we're gonna go through verse one and ten today, but for the sake of time, we'll just read the first verse. Isaiah chapter six, verse one. When you have it, could you please say amen? The Bible says, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Amen. Can you help me preach? Just turn to somebody looking around you and tell them, see what happens when you come to church? That's the wrong one. They got attitude. Turn to somebody else. So you see what happens when you come to church. Denzel Washington played in a film not too long ago called Flight. He was a star in this film, played a pilot, a trouble pilot. He was going through personal issues, a drinking problem. In fact, on the first flight in this film, uh, Denzel, this pilot, was intoxicated while flying a plane. And while flying this plane, the plane goes through heavy turbulence. And in the midst of this turbulence, the plane ends up dealing with mechanical failure, so much so that they had to release gasoline from the plane. And Denzel, as a pilot, ends up flipping the plane upside down as he is looking for a way to, to do a, an emergency landing. And on his way of doing this emergency landing, the plane crashes into the church. And as I'm looking at this film, as I'm looking at this scene, it dawns on me that not everybody gets to the church the same way. Some people walk in the church like David. I was glad when they said unto me. Still others of us uh, invited to come or forced to come. My parents love loved ones who are concerned, co-workers, but then there are others of us who crash into the church. We didn't mean to show up. We didn't mean to get involved with the choir. We didn't mean to get on the usher board. We didn't mean to start preaching and teaching. We didn't mean to be a minister of the church, but life had a way of crashing us to the house of God. Some marriage crashed, some relationship crashed, you lost a loved one, you got sick. And it dawned on me that every now and again, God will arrange a crash just to get you and I into his presence. Some frustration, some agitation, some annoying parent brought you to the house of God. And, and it dawned on me that, that sometimes when it comes to God's children getting to church, God is like Malcolm X by any means necessary. And we see that played out here in Isaiah 6. Isaiah is writing this and he says that in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple. Here in Isaiah 6, Isaiah is having an encounter with God. He's experiencing God on a whole nother level. That's why he says, I, 
I, I seen God. He didn't really see God. God is a spirit. He, he, what he's saying is he's had an encounter with God. He's had an experience with God. And it's interesting to me that Isaiah has an encounter and an experience with God in Isaiah chapter 6. Because there are five other chapters before chapter 6. And in the first chapter, Isaiah says that I begin to have visions. I begin to prophesy in the year in the reign of King Isaiah, which means that Isaiah started his ministry when King Isaiah was alive, but he didn't really encounter God until King Isaiah died. So for five chapters, King Isaiah, the prophet, has been prophesying. He's been preaching. He's been teaching. He's been doing the work of God. But with all the work that Isaiah was, was doing, he still had yet to encounter the true essence of God. And I wonder how many of us, if we can be honest with ourselves, have that same testimony. For years, you've been coming to church. For years, you've been volunteering. For years, you've been working for the church. For years, you've been teaching Sunday school. You've been praying, singing in the choir. You've been on the usher board for years. But if you can be honest with yourself, you have yet to truly encounter who God really is. You've yet to experience God. It is interesting to me that Isaiah testifies of when he, of when he truly, fully experienced God. It wasn't when he was preaching. He didn't experience God when he was prophesying. He didn't experience God when, when he was doing the work of God. Isaiah said, I finally experienced God when King Isaiah died. I finally had a true encounter with God when someone died in my life, when something was removed from my life. Then I was finally able to see the true essence of who God really is. It wasn't until something died in his life. It wasn't until someone died in his life that he was able to truly see God, which causes me to ask you, what has to die in your life before you can truly see who God really is? What, what has to be removed from your life? What has to be destroyed from your life? What relationship, what friendship, what mindset, what habit has to be killed and destroyed before you can truly see the essence of God? For some of us, it's not who, it's not what, it's us. It's not until we die. It's not until our flesh dies. Jesus says that, that if you truly want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Paul says that I kill my flesh on a daily basis. And for some of us, we stand in our own way. The reason why we can't experience God, it ain't because God ain't moving, it's because we standing in our own way. And so uh, King Isaiah said, it wasn't until King Isaiah died. What has to die in your life? What has to be destroyed? Because I've come to discover that not all death is bad. Not all destruction is bad. Some death, some destruction, some removal creates an opportunity for growth, creates an opportunity for elevation, creates an opportunity for expansion that there are certain things that have to die before we can truly appreciate God in our life. I mean, Lazarus had to die before Mary and Martha could recognize that Jesus is the life and the resurrection. What has to die in your life? I mean, Jesus had to die before we could really, really receive salvation into the world. What has to die? What has to be removed? And God says, 
that until you remove, destroy, kill, deconstruct some things in your life, you won't be able to fully experience all the power that I have to offer. Now that, now that I'm married, I, I find myself watching shows that I probably never would have been watching as a single person. One of those shows that my wife put me on is a show called Fixer Upper. So y'all seen Fixer Upper before. Chip and Joanna Gaines, they, play, they, they star in the show Fixer Upper. They help families find homes and, and, and redecorate homes within a certain budget that they're looking for. And I love Chip and Joanna because they work together. Uh, Chip is the one who uh, destroys and builds down everything, tears down everything, while Joanna, she's the one that redecorates. And Chip is the one that helps Joanna's vision come into fruition. And they work together. Chip is the one that destroys. Joanna is the one that builds up. And, and the more Chip destroys, the more Joanna has a fresh canvas to do her thing. And, and it is not until Chip destroys some things that Joanna can come back and build some things up. And now there are, there are tons of families that are living in a home now. They, 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 at the end of the show, they do a before and after. Before it looks messed up. Before it looks destroyed. But after Chip and Joanna put their hands on it, it's something brand new and fresh. And it dawned on me that every now and again in our life, God is Chip and Joanna at the same time. Ecclesiastes says that there is a time to destroy and the time to build. And if you allow God to play chip in your life, destroy some habits and destroy some relationships and destroy some perceptions and some mindsets, then God can also play Joanna. He makes all things new. Is there anybody in the room that thank God that once you destroy some things, that's when God can show you his full essence of who he is. And Isaiah said, it ain't until King Isaiah died that I finally saw the Lord. King Isaiah, he was the man back then. King Isaiah was the king of Israel. In fact, under the reign of King Isaiah, that's where the children of Israel were able to find prosperity and peace and wealth under the reign of King Isaiah. And for some children of Israel, for, for, for the Hebrews, many of them begin to credit King Isaiah for all the great things that they were experiencing as a nation. And God got tired of the people giving some other man the credit that belonged to God. And so God said, you know what? I'm going to remove the king to show you the king. And it was when the king died. It was when this political leader died. It was when this world leader died. No, it was when there was a deadbeat in office that Isaiah made his way to the house of God. And what better time to come to the house of God when world leaders are dying, when there's political chaos and uncertainty, when they're deadbeats in office, what better, what better opportunity than to come to the house of God? Because when the king died, that's when the community started going in chaos. That's when riots begin to happen. That's where pain was beginning to, was beginning to arise. It was when the king died that chaos ensued. And so Isaiah makes his way to the temple. He makes his way to the house of God. And God, when Isaiah gets to the temple, God begins to shift Isaiah's perspective, because that's what the church is about. That's why I thank God for the church, because when you and I create a habit of coming to church, God has a way of shifting our perspective. 
Because, because when we come to church, if we can be honest, our earthly outlook gets in the way of God's divine uplook. Our earthly, in our earthly outlook, we see chaos. We see confusion. We see political uncertainty. We see government corruption. We see all of these crazy things going on from an earthly outlook. But when you come to church, God has a way of shifting your earthly outlook to a heavenly uplook. What are you talking about? Isaiah came to church in the midst of chaos, and when he gets there, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord on the throne. That's a different perspective. God on the throne? Yeah, that's power, authority. That means that God is in control. So when things were out of control in Isaiah's life, he came to church and realized that God is in control. And every now and again, God will make some things go away in your life. God will allow some things to look out of control to show you who is truly in control. And when you get to church, you'll discover that there's another perspective that I ain't looking at, that God is on the throne. Wait a minute, he's not just on the throne, but God is high and exalted. See, see, the reason why we can't see that God is in control is because we have a low-down perspective. We have a low-down view. We, we, we have a low-down disposition. So it's hard to see that God is in control when you ain't looking the right way. Isaiah said, he's high and exalted. There's another perspective. And I've come to discover that our perspective is limited. From our perspective, we can't see the whole picture. There's another angle at play. There's another perspective that you and I ain't seeing, but when we, get, when we come to church and get connected with God, God will show us that there's another angle that you're not aware of, that God has a way of seeing the whole picture. So when things look bad in our life, that's just from our perspective. That's just an earthly outlook. But get connected to the church and, and, and shift your perspective from low down to high and lift it up you'll discover that there's a whole nother picture that you ain't looking at. That God is high and exalted, and he's still in control. And maybe that's a word that somebody needed to hear today, that God is in control. I know things don't look like it. I know things don't feel like it. I know things, I know your experience may look different, but when you come to church, you'll discover that God is high and exalted, and he's still in control. And that's why I appreciate the church, more specifically the black church, because the black church has been there to help our people get a different perspective. Yeah, I've been in class all week. My, my, my first intensive for my PhD was this week, and we've learned about, it seemed like we learned about every preacher from Augustine to T.D. Jakes, from the beginning to 2020. We've learned about every preacher. And while I'm in class, um, I'm sitting in there with scholars and theologians, and they having these deep discussions, and I'm just sitting in the corner taking notes. And uh, one of my classmates, Stephen Green, says that, that before that before black people's humanity was recognized, the church as an entity, the black church as an entity was recognized. That, that before you and I were seen as human beings, we had the black church. So even, even in society where they said that black people were three-fifths of a human being, we could come to church and get our perspective shifted. Oh, y'all missed it. In the world, we were seen as three-fifths of a human. But in church, our perspective was shifted. And we were reminded 
that you're made in the image of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. In the world, we were told that Jesus was a man with white skin and blonde hair. But in the black church, we were reminded that Jesus had hair like wool and his feet were like bronze. In, in, in the world, we were denied our humanity, but in the church, we shifted our perspective to discover that God is the one that is working everything out for the good. And the church helped us shift our perspective. And that's why I'm glad about the church. That's why I love the church. Because when I come down with a low down perspective, God reminds me that he sits high, he looks low, but he still gets involved with human affairs. Is there anybody grateful that the church helps shift your perspective. Your neighbor didn't say amen. I know what it is. Because the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, uh, he going to come back riding on the cloud. That's what the Bible say. But I feel like most of us are going to miss the grand entry of Jesus riding on the cloud because we're going to be on our eye cloud. We're going to be looking down when God is working at a higher level. See, see this, is why, this is why lawmakers put laws in place with texting and driving. Because they know that it is dangerous, almost impossible, for someone to get to their destination with the wrong perspective. They know that you are not just endangering yourself, but you're endangering other folk around you when you're trying to get to your destination with the wrong perspective. And if we understand that with texting and driving, how come we don't understand that when it comes to getting with our destination that God has for our life? God says that there's another perspective that you need to have. I look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith. There's another perspective that you need to adopt. I don't look behind me, but I press forward toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus. There's another perspective. I look to the hills for which cometh my help. My help comes from God. And when you adopt a different perspective, you'll discover that regardless of what I'm up against, no weapon that is formed against me shall be able to prosper. I'm so glad that the church offers a different perspective in the midst of my problem. Wait a minute. Don't let the bow tie fool you. The Bible says Isaiah gets to church and he sees God at a higher level. He's high and exalted. It shifts the perspective. Isaiah says, when I came to church, there was some praise and worship that was going on. Watch what happens. This is, I'm going to read it to you. Verse 3. He says, he sees these seraphim, these heavenly creatures. Verse 3, and says, and they saying to one another, they cried to one another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I love that. King Isaiah dies. Political leader dies. Dead beat in office. Chaos going on. He comes to church, shifts his perspective from an earthly outlook to a heavenly uplook. And not only does the church provide a shift in perspective, but a church provides a shift in attitude from worry to worship. Because if you and I can be honest, we got a lot to be worried about. Family problems, money problems, community issues. There's a lot to be worried about. Political issues, church issues. There's a lot of worry that goes on. But, but, but when you and I make a healthy habit of coming to church, we'll discover that, that 
in the midst of my worries, God is still worthy of my worship. And that's why I appreciate the temple that Isaiah showed up at, because here was a temple that wasn't so big on schedule that they didn't create an opportunity for God to get his worship in. That, 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 that there are many churches that we were so uptight when it comes to the schedule that we don't create a time and a space for the spirit to have his way. Because we don't know what issues that people are coming in with. We don't know what baggage that people are coming in with. We don't know what mindset that people are coming in with. And they just need an opportunity to open up their mouth and lift their hands and say, Jesus, I'm available for you to use me. And there's an opportunity for worship. And that's what the church has been to black folks in America. A space for us to come and get our worship on. In the midst of because we, we, we celebrating a hundred years. And, and in a hundred years, 1920, we saw the video. That's the height of KKK. That's the height of racism. That's the height of prejudice. That, that, that's the height of voter suppression. But I love black folk and the black church. Because in the world where we had to face racism, we still were able to come to church and have a space of not only where our blackness was affirmed, but we had a space of putting our worries aside and give God the worship that he deserved. In the world where we, where we couldn't go to the school that we wanted to go to, we could still go to church and lift our hands and say, thank you, Jesus. In a world where we couldn't drink out of the water fountain that we wanted to drink out of, we could still come to church, lift our hands with a hallelujah on our tongue. In a world where we couldn't vote who we wanted to vote for, we could still come to church and testify. When I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, that in a world full of worries, we could still get our worship on. Matter of fact, that's how you know you're growing as a Christian. That's how you know you're maturing as a believer, that in the midst of your problems, you can still find a reason to praise God. It's almost like when David found out that his son died, the Bible says that he took a shower, changed clothes, put on lotions, went to church and got his praise on because he understood that although my son can't come down to me, one day I'll be able to return to my son. And because of that, God deserves my glory. It's almost like when Job found out that his children died, that his cattle died, that his servants died. The Bible says that he dropped down to his knees and praised God. How can you do it? Because the same God that gives is the same God that takes away your growth as a Christian is be able to identify the reason why God deserves your glory. I know you're going through but God is bigger than your problems and if you serve a God that is bigger than your problems, you might as well praise God because God is working it out on your behalf. Is there anybody in the room that despite of your worries, you can still give God some praise in this place? Tell your neighbor, that's why you come to church. Shift your perspective from an earthly outlook to a heavenly uplook. That's why you come to church. Shift your attitude from worry to worship. And, and, and here's why you come to church. Um, because coming to church creates an opportunity for you to be covered by the blood of the sacrifice. Where you see that? Well, uh, Isaiah gets to church. They get to worship on. 
And uh, the Bible says that the temple was filled with the smoke. That's the presence of God. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. That when you praise God in the midst of your problem, God has a way of showing up. And then Isaiah says, after I have this true encounter with God, Isaiah says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst a people of dirty lips. He says, he says, I see God for who God is. Now I see myself for who I am. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. See, see, the problem that I have with many of us when we come to church is that after we get our perspective shifted, after we get our attitude shifted, uh, we don't see ourselves for who we are. We begin to judge other folk for the dirt that they in. So we come to church and we talk about what, other, what, what somebody else got on. We talk about how somebody smelled like weed. We talk about why they come to church like that. We come to see the dirt and measure the dirt of everybody else. But I love Isaiah. He gets to church, sees how great God is, then sees how ratchet he is. He says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And, and, and this unclean lips really is a reflection of Isaiah's heart. Because the Bible talks about how whatever is in the person's heart comes out of a person's mouth. So he's not just talking about how dirty his lips are. He's talking about how dirty his heart is. That's why David writes, creating me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Because if you and I are not careful, the dirt in our heart has a way of expressing in our behavior. So Isaiah says, I got some dirty lips. And then he kept it real. I ain't the only one out here with dirty lips. I live in a dirty society. I live in a dirty community. I live in a dirty nation. I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And some scholars suggest that when Isaiah is saying this, he's talking about the sin of conforming. He says the reason why my lips are dirty is because I've conformed to the dirty lips of society. That, that because I didn't stand out in my calling, in my anointing, because I didn't stand out as a believer, I've conformed to the dirty lips of society. But, but, but I love the experience that Isaiah had at church. Because he gets to church and then Isaiah confesses his need for God. I got some dirty lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. But, but, but watch what Isaiah does. The Bible says that when Isaiah confesses his sin, when Isaiah confessed his need for God, the Bible says the seraphim, the divine creatures, the heavenly beings, grabbed the burning coals and placed it on the dirty lips of Isaiah. Uh, the, ferris, the, fer, the, the seraphim, the burning ones, grabbed the burning coals and placed it on the dirty lips of Isaiah. I love that. Because notice that they didn't place the burning coals on his hand. They ain't placed the burning coal on his forehead. They ain't placed the burning coal on his thighs. They placed the burning coal on the most filthiest spot in Isaiah's life. On the dirtiest spot in Isaiah's life, he had to feel the fire. 
he had to go through a heated situation because the burning coals, the, 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 the burning ones grabbed the burning coals and placed it on the dirty lips of Isaiah. So he's going through a heated situation at church. He's at church, but he's still facing a fire. He's at church, but he's still getting burned. Because just because you and I make a healthy habit of coming to church, it don't mean that we ain't going to never face the fire. It don't mean that you and I will never go through a heated situation. But when you and I make a healthy habit of coming to church, even though we may face the fire, the church reminds us that God will not allow the fire to come just to burn us and to destroy us. But God allows the fire to come to clean us and, and purge us and develop us. It's almost like when the three Hebrew boys rejected bowing down to King Trump, I mean King Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible says that King Nebuchadnezzar threw the three Hebrew boys in a fiery furnace. Ten times hotter than usual. They throw him in the fiery furnace, bound, tied up, hands and feet. And the Bible says that King Nebuchadnezzar throws him in the fire. He looks in the fire and says, I thought I told y'all fools to put in three. Why do I see four? And the fourth one looks like the son of God. And the old preacher said, Jesus always looks like the son of God. And they pulled out the three Hebrew boys out of the fiery flame. And they discovered that although they threw him in the fire bound, they took him out loose. They took him out free. They took him out liberated. Matter of fact, they didn't even look like they'd been through no fire because even though God allows the fire, he doesn't allow the fire to destroy us. He allows the fire to free us. God doesn't put us in the fire to burn you. God puts you in the fire to burn the hell out of you. And I know there's somebody in the room that can thank God that even though I went through the fire, God still brought me out brand new and clean. Somebody thank God for the fire that made you clean. And the angel said, he put the coal on Isaiah's lips and then he told him this, your sins have been taken away and your guilt has been atoned for. That's forgiveness right there. That's mercy right there. That's grace right there. That when you come to church and you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He says, I'm taking away your sin and I'm taking away your guilt. For many of us, our sin can't be seen by other folk. It's the guilt that can't be seen. God says, I'm going to work on your heart. I'm going to take away your guilt. He says, your guilt has been atoned for. That, that, that word atone in the Hebrew means, means to be covered. That, that God says, I'm going to cover you. And after God covers Isaiah, then God asks the question, who's going to go for us? Then Isaiah says, here I am. You can send me. Wait a minute. He comes to church, different perspective, different attitude, confesses his sin. Now Isaiah is ready to go out into the world and pursue his purpose. Because here's what I've discovered about the church. The church is not our final destination. The church is our point of departure, that all of us comes to church to experience the spirit and the power of God. But y'all, we don't come to church just to come to church. 
We come to church to leave the church to make the world a better place. Y'all, we don't come to church just to sing, shout, and speak in tongues and run around the building. We come to church so we can leave the church, go out into the dark world and be the light of the world. Y'all, we don't, we don't come to church just to be covered, just to shift our perspective, just to have a different attitude just because. But we come to church, get empowered so that we can go back to work in that toxic work environment to be the salt of the world, to be the salt of the earth. That God is looking for all of us to not just be covered by his blood and not just shout about a new perspective, but to go out and do some work, to go out and pursue the purpose. Because all of us has purpose, all of us has destiny, and we come to church to be empowered and leave the church to make the world a better place. And as we walk in, and as we walk into Martin Luther King Day, that's what Dr. King was all about. The reason why we all have our civil rights and the, the, the rights that we have today is because, y'all, Dr. King understood the importance of not just preaching Jesus within the four walls, but taking Jesus to the streets. And many of us forget that Dr. King was a preacher, a black preacher. Many of us forget that the civil rights movement were led by other black preachers, that the civil rights movement was founded and started in the basement of the church. And they understood what good is it for us to come to church and never take the church to the world. Matter of fact, the black church has a history of understanding the importance of not just coming to church on Sunday, but taking this church to the streets throughout the week. Because y'all, black folk couldn't afford just to come to church on Sunday for an hour and a half. Not when your son is being lynched on Monday. Not when your daughter is being sexually manipulated on Tuesday. Not when you're in jail on Wednesday and Thursday. But the black church understood that God is looking for people who understand the importance that the church ain't the final destination. The church is the final departure. Is there anybody with enough confidence and bravery to get all your empowerment in the church to take Jesus to the streets? And how can we do it? Well... You got to understand, we covered. That's where the confidence lies. That's where that bravery is. That's where you can find the strength to pursue your purpose and destiny when you understand that you're covered. So you ain't got to worry about the haters. You ain't got to worry about the traps they set. You ain't got to worry about what weapons come and forming against you because you're covered. What are you talking about? I, I, I didn't tell you that that when the, the, the seraphim grabbed that coal from the altar, y'all, the altar represents the altar that the priest would use to make the sacrifice. So they'll grab a lamb, they'll grab a sheep, they'll grab a goat, kill that sacrifice on the altar. All of that blood will trickle down from the altar onto the coals. And so now the seraphim grab the coal that is covered with the blood of the sacrifice and places it on Isaiah's life. So now Isaiah... Is covered with the blood of the sacrifice, which empowers him to take his once dirty lips and now use it for the kingdom of God.
The same lips that was dirty is now being used to proclaim the power of God. How is that possible? Because Isaiah was covered with the blood of the sacrifice. And that same blood that covered Isaiah is the same blood that is offered to you today. Now, it ain't no blood of no goat and no lamb. It ain't the blood that Pastor Johnson sacrificed from some animal. But it's the blood of Jesus that God says, because I know all these animals ain't going to cover all the sins that you are going through. God says, you know what? I'm going to handle the sacrifice myself. And the Bible says that the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. And so now the same blood that Jesus shed on Calvary is the same blood that covers you and I when we take our ministry and hit the streets. Is there anybody in here grateful that, that without the sacrifice of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin? And the same power that covered Isaiah, the same power that Moses and the Israelites put on their doorstep, the same power, the same blood that Jesus shed is the same blood that covers your family, the same blood that covers your money, the same blood that covers your mind. When you get under the covering of Jesus, how many of you know that everything is going to be all right? All right, all right. Can I close my little sermon real quick? Uh, uh, in class, they're teaching us the importance of rhetoric. That is not just what you say, it's how you say it. Rhetoric, style, delivery. And so I, I brought a little rhetoric today. Uh, I brought a prop today. Uh, now, I know y'all can't see this, uh, but y'all, my phone has been dropped on several occasions. And uh, it looked like it's been dropped on several occasions. Uh, it's, it, it got cracks in it. Uh, it. It's been broken. It looked like it got a little food in it. Hold on, let me get. Uh, it, 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 I've dropped it on several times. Several times, it's fallen from high places, and now it's cracked. Um, but even though it's cracked, it can still be used. Um, even though it's cracked, I can still use it. Um, even though it's cracked, it can still get connected to the higher power. And uh, y'all didn't even know it was cracked until I told you it was cracked. And the reason why y'all didn't know it was cracked, because it was covered. <laughs> and the same way I can cover the cracks of my iPhone is the same way the blood of Jesus covers all of your cracks. And you want to know why we up here singing and preaching and teaching? It ain't because we ain't never fallen. It ain't because we ain't never been cracked. But it's because God covers us. Jesus has covered us with his blood. Matter of fact, turn to your neighbor and tell him, you ain't nothing but a cracked iPhone. But the good news is Jesus has sacrificed his blood. And now because of that, we can be covered by the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The same blood that reaches from the highest mountain flows to the lowest valley the blood that strengthens me day by day is there anybody grateful that the blood of Jesus still works somebody turn to your neighbor and tell them get covered get covered get covered cover your family cover your children cover your career cover your dreams I thank God that I'm covered by the blood of Jesus let us all stand